James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Tonight we're going to talk about being on God's search and rescue team. It's a very fitting end to the book of James. Some people, when they come to verses 19 and 20, they don't see how it fits into the flow of what James has said. I think it's a perfect way to end the book of James because the whole book of James is about growing, maturing, letting God work in our life and pour into our life so that we can make a positive impact in other people's lives. And I think that's why James ends this way. He's saying, let God do all that he wants to do in our lives so it can spill over and overflow to positive impact other people, especially those who are struggling. I mean, last week we looked at the fact that there were those who were ill and weighed down and, and uh, not able even to sort of function and move forward. And if they would call on those that were, would come and help them and move alongside of them to encourage them in every way that we can, that's one thing. But Here's another situation tonight where these folks are in such dire straits and desperate situations and maybe even embarrassing situations that they're not going to call on anybody. It's going to be up to us to go to search out and to rescue. Listen to the words of James. James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, He should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I'd like you to obviously come back there at some point, but I'd like you to go back to the Gospel of Luke, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning at verse 3. The principle of search and rescue, if you will, is a biblical theme throughout the Bible. And even Jesus, in another part of Luke, said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And then, earlier in the Gospel of Luke, he gives the parable of the lost sheep. A beautiful parable beginning in Luke 15, verse 3. And it illustrates for us, again, the heart of God, that He is a God who searches and seeks out to rescue those who are wandering and lost. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go look for the one that is lost until he finds it. Then when he has found it, he places it on his shoulders rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, Rejoice with me because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. Jesus is again reminding us it's the heart of God to be involved with seeking and rescuing those who are wandering and those who are lost. And if you talk to shepherds, they will tell you that sheep have a propensity of wandering off. Uh, Maybe that's one of the reasons why the Bible uses uh, Jesus as a 
as a metaphor, the shepherd and, and us as his people, even as sheep, because sheep are prone to wander. With that in mind, when you go back now to James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, I want to take some time to sort of break this down and break it apart because we've got the time in the mind to be able to do that. And I want to look at some things closely here tonight. The first thing is the first phrase in verse 19, my brothers and sisters. There is no doubt he's writing here to Christians. He's writing here to the church. He's writing here to save individuals who know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. So again, when we talk about proper interpretation, we've got to take that into account with whatever interpretation we come up with. We've got to base it on the context that he's talking here to Christians. The thing that I want to point out too is how important the brothers and sisters in Christ were to James throughout this letter. Many times he has mentioned them and he writes how endearing they are to him. And I think sometimes in our culture and in the age in which we live, we don't maybe have quite the the passion, if you will, for one another and the appreciation for one another and, and what God has done by bringing us all together that maybe they did back in the times that, say, the Bible was written. One reason is for this reason. Keep your finger in James, because we're going to come right back there, but go back to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. You see, in, in the day that James was alive, especially with Jews, but also many times with Gentiles, when a Jew would accept Christ as their Messiah, they were ostracized by their family, by their former friends. People just walked out of their life when they accepted Christ. And many times that's what happened to Gentiles as well. The Romans would look down on them, you know, you're weak, you're this, you're that. And so many times when people embrace Christ, they lost a whole host of support. They lost family. They lost friends because of their commitment to Christ. And that's one of the reasons why God, just one of the reasons of many, why God, I believe, created the church. Was because in the church, there would be God's, in a sense, replacements for those relationships. Not that they could ever necessarily or want to take the place of certain relationships, but that there would be other people in our lives if we've lost those relationships. And that's exactly one of the things that Jesus says here when Peter in chapter 10 of Mark, verse 28, Peter began to speak to him. Look, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, there is no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive in this age. Now, can I just stop? First of all, we know that God's best is waiting for us when we get to glory. Because God doesn't want to give us his best down here on earth because then we couldn't take it with us and enjoy it forever. But what Jesus is saying is even in this age, I'm going to make sure that especially through the relationships you lost because of me, that I'm going to bring other people into your life, that they're going to be some of the best 
friends you could imagine because you're going to be able to share the bond that you have in Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why he says in this age, a hundred times as much homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields. Oh, yeah, all with persecutions, which is the reason they were in this spot to begin with. And in the age to come, eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. You see, I, I have a mom who's still alive. I, my dad died 18 years ago, but I have a mom. But I've always believed that in the church, I have lots of moms. And if you know my testimony and you know my story, you know that my brother and sister died before I was born of a rare childhood disease. My brother died when he was four, my sister when she was two. So I never grew up with a brother or sister. I grew up as an only child, but in the church, I feel like I've always had a lot of brothers and sisters. And so it's really cool what God does in the church. Many of you, obviously, are looking for healthy, safe, good, solid relationships. People that you will be able to walk through the rest of your life with. That that faithful few who will be there with you and hang in there with you through thick and thin through the rest of your life. And can I just say, I think that the Lord's heart is that you will find those people within his body, the church. And that's why when James starts out by appealing to brothers and sisters to be on God's search and rescue team, because the people that they are going to be searching and rescuing are not the unsaved. And I'm, and I'm not saying that Obviously, we need to be involved in evangelism and we need to be taking the gospel to to those that don't know Christ. But that's not the context of where James is coming from tonight. He's talking about brothers and sisters who are in trouble, who have wandered, who have gotten themselves in over their heads in some kind of sin or situation in their life, and they need rescued. And they need brothers and sisters in Christ and relationships that care enough about them to be willing to go out instead of sitting by the fire all warm and everything while they're out there in a storm struggling. They need people in their lives who are willing to go out and search and rescue. And can we just reverse that and say, hopefully we all want those kind of people in our life that if we ever get in trouble, that that we know that there are people who are going to be searching and seeking to rescue us and help us and to encourage us in whatever state we find ourselves in. That's the kind of bond that's got to be there, though, for that, this ministry to take place. You see, if the brothers and sisters in Christ, if there's no real bond there, then a brother or sister in Christ can get in trouble and start to sink and start to go down spiritually and wander away from God in the church and nobody even cares. And nobody goes after him because there's no relationship there. God wants to build that kind of bond so that we truly are looking out for each other. You see, Cain, in the book of Genesis, basically asked the question, am I my brother's keeper after he had killed and murdered his brother Abel? And God said, Yeah, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. You are responsible to look out for others. In fact, go with me before you go back to James to the book of Colossians. I love these two verses. Colossians chapter 2. 
talking about the bond that God wants to build into Christians so that we care enough about each other to look out for each other. And we're going to talk all about that tonight. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 2, 1 and 2. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea. So he's talking here to churches. He's talking here to Christians. And for those who have not met me face to face. And here's his goal, verse 2. My goal for the church, for brothers and sisters in Christ, is that their hearts, having been knit together in love, may be encouraged and that they may have all the riches that assurance brings and their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ. On and on we could go. I want to pull out from that verse this phrase. Paul says, it's my desire that brothers and sisters would have their hearts knit together. That, that's how close brothers and sisters in the church should be. That's the intent of God when he created the church. Not that we would be part of the church and still be distant from each other, but where we would come into his body and build relationships and allow our hearts to be knit together with other people's hearts. Because part of the dynamic that God wants to see happen in his church is that we look out for each other. That we have relationships with others, that we care enough about them, that when they're in trouble spiritually, we will search out and we will rescue which is exactly what God has done with us. That's why if you go back, just briefly, because we're going to keep going back other places too, but if you go back to the book of James, to verse 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, anyone is susceptible within the body. There's not a one of us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how spiritually mature we are, there can come a point in any one of our lives where we stop progressing and moving forward in our relationship with God and we start going backward and needing somebody or someone to step in and encourage us or else we're going to keep sliding backward. In fact, to show you that this is... Not only possible, this has been predicted in the Bible that this will happen within the church. I want to turn to several verses tonight and just look at them quickly. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And when James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, I think he's talking about a couple different things. I think he could be talking about the fact that it could be a Christian who's gotten involved in some kind of doctrinal or theological error. And the Bible clearly teaches if my theology and doctrine's not right, it's going to affect my life. So that's one of the things he could be talking about. And he could also just be talking about the fact that I've gotten involved in some sin and that sin has overtaken me and got the best of me and now my life is being so negatively affected. Either one is possible in the context of James chapter 5. And notice... In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul predicts, the Bible predicts, now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. You see, people within the church, the Bible says, in the latter times are going to be influenced by false teaching and by false prophets. And they're going to desert the faith they're going to wander away from the truth as james puts it and get involved in stuff that's going to blow up their life spiritually 
Because our life is born out of what we believe. Then go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. One of the reasons why Paul gives Timothy, this young pastor, the exhortation in verse 2 to preach the word of God is because in verse 3, there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things and they will turn away from hearing the truth. There it is again, predicted. Many people will turn away from hearing the truth and will grab on to always something new. That's why spiritual growth is so important and why it's the passion of my life. Because I believe that one of the things that can sort of prevent us from wandering away from the truth and getting caught up in error and false doctrine is if we just continue to grow in our understanding of the word. And that's exactly what Peter says. If you go with me real quickly too to Second Peter Chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, the last two verses of the book, verses 17 and 18. Peter writes, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard that you do not get led astray by the error of these unprincipled men and fall from your own firm grasp on the truth. See, the implication is at any time. I can lose grasp of the truth that I once based my life on. I once lived. And now I'm listening to these others who are pulling me away from the truth of God's word. And now I'm going into air. And that's why Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. But if we start believing falsehood, if we start believing error, we're not going to be free any longer. We're going to be in bondage again, even as a Christian. That's why notice what he says in verse 18. Continually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, that's the best antidote. If you're worried about ever falling into error and falling from the grasp that you have right now, the truth of God, the best advice I could give to anybody is spiritual growth. Just keep growing. Just keep growing. Spiritual growth, in my opinion is over 90% of the answer of most of the problems that we ever see in a church. It's not this or that. It's just getting people to start growing as Christians and becoming more aware of what God says and how he wants us to live. And as we grow, that's going to take care of a lot of the problems and a lot of the struggles and a lot of the things that we deal with. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. So obviously when James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, we've already seen that the prediction is there. The propensity of our hearts are there. We're like sheep who are always wanting to wander off. And yet God wants us to stay stable on his word. And that's part of the reason why God says, I need my church to be willing to be part of a search and rescue team. I need people who are growing themselves and who are willing for me to pour into their lives so that if they see a brother or sister who's hurting And who is in need, they're willing to go after them and maybe have God use them to turn them back around. Which is exactly what James says if you go back to verse 19 for just a brief moment. He says, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. Notice he doesn't qualify it by saying only pastors are qualified for this. 
No. Only people who've been Christians for 10 years or more. No. Only missionaries. No. Only people who've been to Bible college. No. Only people who have some. No. If someone, if someone, a believer, but someone, and we're going to talk more about what that means, but what it is sharing with us is an unbelievable truth that God can use any one of us within the body of Christ. Because let's face it, it's not us anyway. It's just us making ourselves available to God to use in somebody else's life. Any and every one of us can be used by God to turn another Christian around. Now you've got to believe that. You, you've got to believe what the Bible says. That God can use you to turn another Christian around when they are in trouble and they're in over their head. And they're going backwards in their relationship with God rather than forwards. And God wants us to be part of that. But we've got to believe that God can use us and literally impact that person through us and through our contact with them. Someone turns him back. Now there's the right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And we're going to talk about that in the time we have left. I want you to go back now to the book of Galatians chapter 6 and see where Paul also talks about this principle. A little bit differently, but Paul talks about this principle in Galatians 6, 1. And if you were here last week, you remember that one of the passages we looked at last week was in Galatians 6, 2, where it talks about bearing one another's burdens, those extra heavy loads that come into our life. And isn't it interesting that in that same context of helping others with those extra heavy loads that come into your life, right before that, the verse before that is this verse, Galatians 6, 1, which says, brothers and sisters, again, he's talking to the church, to those who know Christ. If a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted to. Now, I'm not teaching on this verse tonight, but I do want to spend a little bit of time here because it it supports and goes along exactly with what James says about being part of God's search and rescue team. First of all, he's talking here about a person in this context that has gotten involved in sin. and, And this sin is not just, I did it once. This sin now has become something that now is part of their life And is dragging them away from God, away from his people, away from the word, away from prayer. They're breaking fellowship. And it's because they've allowed this sin, in a sense, to get so entrenched in their life that their life now has been centered around this sin, whatever it is, instead of the Lord. And he says, you who are spiritual. Now, again, there's lots of Christians who read that and go, well, that must be talking about the pastor or somebody. No. You who are spiritual in the context simply means if you go back up to chapter 5, it's somebody who's living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And that can be any Christian, anytime, anywhere. Any Christian is capable, obviously because all of us as Christians have the Holy Spirit, of just simply being in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16, all the way down through the fruit of the Spirit in verses 23 and 24. And that's who is spiritual. According to God, somebody who, instead of being caught in sin, is living in the spirit at that point. And here's what he says. We are responsible to restore such a person. Word restore, very key word. 
It is a word used in the Greek language to talk about a doctor setting a bone back in place that's been dislocated, or it was also used for fishermen when they were mending their nets. They were restoring their nets. And so also it gets in our minds then the way we are to do it. This is a restoration that we're trying to achieve here. And isn't it sad, and maybe you've been on the other side of this, that maybe there was a time in your Christian life where you were part of a church and you started struggling spiritually. And instead of trying to restore you, they just kicked you out the door and said goodbye. Or they didn't care. Or, or they didn't come after. Or, or they didn't try. Or if they did try to get involved in your life, they did it very judgmentally and very self-righteously and very harshly. And God says, no, 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 no. The motive needs to be restoration. Too often in the church and in the body of Christ, when Christians have struggled... We're one of the few groups who shoot our own. Oh, you're having trouble? Oh, we're just going to pile on and, you know, tell you everything you're doing wrong and all that. And there's no mindset for no. What needs to be behind this is that my goal is to restore this person back to the church, back to fellowship, back to usefulness. They've got their whole life ahead of them. And God, no matter what they have done and what they've been involved with, our God is a God of second chances, my friends. And he wants to restore people and get them back up again and get them back into fellowship so that he can use them again and so they can impact other people's lives. Not to just see them wander out there, you see. And that's what James is talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. But notice he says, do it in the spirit of gentleness. Now I'll admit, I'm the biggest wimp in the world. I mean, even back when I played football and weighed over 300 pounds, I was a big 300-pound wimp. And, you know, going to the doctor and stuff, and I was like, Doc, be gentle, you know. And, and you, you know, you, the dentist, oh, please be gentle, you know. So we can understand, you know, what he's talking about here, that we do need to be careful because though we think we're tough, we're fragile human beings, And we all know, and maybe again, it was flip side with us. We've had people, well-meaning Christians who got involved in our lives and wanted to help us out and, you know, get us straightened out. And they certainly didn't do it gently. And because of that, we suffered even more pain because they didn't, they didn't do it the right way. And that's just as damaging as not doing it at all. That's why he goes on to say too, when you approach a fellow brother and sister in Christ who may be struggling right now spiritually. Don't get lifted up in pride and don't be self-righteous. He says, pay close attention to yourselves so that you're not tempted to. Go humbly. Go in grace. Go in gentleness and seek to restore this person. And then again, just as a reminder, James said, and here's why we've got to go after him. Because they're wandering. They're wandering from the truth. Either in their life or now in what they believe. It's very interesting. The word wandering there in the Greek language is where we get our word planet from. And it was the idea that the ancient Greeks used that word to speak about the fact that that the planets and stars and everything always seemed to be wandering across the sky and never in the same place in any season. And that's exactly the word that's used here. It's like there's no stability spiritually. There's no clarity. 
They're just bouncing from this and bouncing from that. And that's the way it happens many times. And why, again, spiritual growth is the answer. Because spiritual growth and maturity will help Christians become spiritually stable and rock solid rather than bouncing from this to that and just wandering because part of the reason why we get caught in sin and we get duped by false teaching and false teachers is because we're not being grounded in what we know and knowing what we know and why we know it type of thing. So with that in mind, turn to the book of Ephesians, just over one book from Galatians and see why Paul in chapter four talks about spiritual growth. In Ephesians chapter 4, he's actually speaking, I believe, to pastors. And he's saying that it's our responsibility in verse 12 to equip the saints, the people of the church, for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. That's a growth term. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice the goal, a mature person, verse 13, attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. And here's why, verse 14. So we are no longer to be children, spiritual children, spiritual babes, staying that way. It's okay to be a spiritual babe if you just accepted Christ, but God doesn't want any of us to stay there. Why? Because then we are going to to, uh, have the temptation to be tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. See, that whole passage is talking about spiritual growth and the necessity for it. Because if we don't grow and we remain where we are, then we're going to start to regress. And we're going to just be bouncing back and forth like something out there in the ocean. It's just carried wherever the waves wants to carry it. God wants us to have a clarity of purpose and direction for our life because that's one of the ways we keep from being susceptible to wandering from the truth and getting caught up in some sin or some lifestyle or some doctrinal error that can blow up our Christian life. And then if you go back to James for just a moment, James says the person who's used by God to turn this person back from the wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I think very soberly what the Bible's saying here, and it says it in other places, and I don't want to take time here to go to all these places tonight, but I think the Bible very clearly teaches that even a Christian can shorten their life on earth by getting involved in something that they shouldn't. We can hasten it. In fact, there are some of us maybe here tonight That even by the grace of God, we can look back on our life and we could go, you know what? I should have been dead. Should have been dead here. Should have been dead there. Should have been dead there. And it was only because of God's grace and mercy that he spared me and he gave me another opportunity. But if I would have continued to go down that road, I'd have probably killed myself. It would have probably killed me, whatever had a hold of my life. And again, don't forget here in James chapter 5, he's not talking to people who don't know Christ. He's talking to Christians. Yes, Christians can get something so a hold of our life that it can destroy our life and shorten our life. And he's saying, if you're willing to be part of God's search and rescue team, you can even save another Christian from maybe ultimately dying a death prematurely because of what they're involved with and covering a multitude of sins. I love that. Because God is saying too, when we turn our lives around, And we get back on track. 
a lot of the stuff that characterized our lives and a lot of the stuff that if we'd have kept going down that road that people would have been able to talk about, it's almost like God wipes that away and wants us to wipe it away and forget about it and move on. It's our spiritual enemy, the devil, that wants to accuse us and throw up the sins of our past in our face. God wants us to forget the things that are behind us and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Our sin has been covered. So, real quickly, and I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you. I just encourage you, don't even try to take notes at this point if you are. Listen to it on iTunes and get it over again. Because here we go. I got 20 minutes to finish. When should we go? James chapter 5, 19. When should, if I want to be part of God's search and rescue team, when should I go and intervene in someone else's life? If we know the situation and have a relationship with the person, because truth is most often received through healthy, loving relationships. Because let's face it, if we have a relationship that's not healthy, not loving, not safe, and somebody tries to talk to us, and that's not on a good level, then it doesn't matter whether they're really trying to help or not, it's probably not going to come across well. But if that relationship is healthy and loving, many times truth can be received through those kind of relationships. But ultimately, when we should go is when we are prompted by the Holy Spirit. When should we go? I know the situation. I know the person. I have a good healthy, loving relationship with them, and the Spirit of God is not letting me alone. The Spirit of God is moving me and prompting me to go and be part of God's search and rescue team that James talks about in James 5, 19 and 20, that Paul talks about in Galatians 6, 1, and to insert myself in their life and see if God can't use me to turn them back around and get them back on the right track again because they've walked away from God. Before we go, here's some things I think we need to keep in mind. First, get the facts. Do not go on hearsay or gossip. And don't begin with accusations. First, ask questions to determine the truth. Ask yourself, is this a matter of immaturity on their part or spiritual weakness where they just need to grow? Or... Are they defiantly walking away from God? And they know better. And it's a matter of their will. You see, we need to treat those two situations much differently. And that's why we need the wisdom of God when we insert ourselves in other people's lives. Because every situation is not the same. I, as a pastor, am going to deal with a believer that I think is just immature and struggling in an area differently than somebody who's been a Christian for 30 years and was a Sunday school teacher and maybe an elder in the church or whatever, and now they're struggling. Going to deal with them two different ways. So get the facts and ask questions. Second, before we go, check our heart. As Paul said, as James said, there is no room here for being judgmental. Our focus should be on restoring the straying one, not to put them in their place or to prove that we were right and they were wrong. Can I tell you why I know so much about this? Because sad to say, I did this wrong 
in my life before. And I'm sorry that I did it wrong. And then, what really hit home to me is, I had it done wrong to me. And I saw the pain and the hurt that it brought whenever other Christians came into my life and tried to insert themselves in my life and they did it all wrong and how much that hurt. Third, before we go, pray. Do not attempt to restore someone before praying for them. Prayer puts us in the right place before God, dependent upon His grace. We can't properly talk to men about God until we've talked to God about men. Especially pray for the right time and opportunity. That's important. Ask God, God, if you truly are leading me to have a conversation, then lead me when is the right time, when is the right opportunity. The next thing before we go, check our motive. Love for God and for others are to be our motivations. A desire to please God and genuine concern for others. We must know the difference between healthy and unhealthy involvement in other people's lives. And again, we've probably been on both sides of that too. We are warned in the Bible not to be gossipers, busybodies, meddlers, and troublemakers. And many times I've seen it where again, well-intentioned Christians, oh, I'm just trying to help. But if we're doing it in the wrong way, we end up actually causing more trouble than if we would have just stayed out. So that's why when James and Paul in the Bible talks to us about being part of God's search and rescue team, there's certainly the right way to do it. Any emergency responder. I know we have emergency responders who come to the mine on Tuesday night. You go through training. You have to have the right equipment. You have to have the right knowledge because as much as your heart is, I want to help people who are in distress, you got to be able to do it right or else you could hurt the situation. Well, guess what? Being part of God's search and rescue team is no different. God loves to see that the heart of his people is I want to help others and I want to restore them and I want to see them get back into to church and I want to see them get back into ministering and serving the Lord. They've got so much to offer. I don't want to see them on the sidelines anymore and I want to see God use me to be part of that answer. But if we're going to do it, we've got to do it right. And we've got to walk by the wisdom and by the Spirit of God. How should we go? We should go alone. The Bible says that when we go, we should go first alone. Go directly to them. Do not go behind their back and try to campaign for our point of view or try to convince others to do what God is calling us to do. I've had that situation, I think, especially because of the role I play. There's a lot of Christians who come to me and because I'm a pastor, they say, you got to get involved in that person's life. And I gently try to explain to them, well, maybe you should be the one because you're the one that has the relationship with them. But you're the pastor. And again, I try to, in two minutes, give them this Bible lesson tonight that, you know what, this is for anybody. If you know the situation and you know the person and you're being prompted by the Holy Spirit, maybe you should go. In fact, isn't it true in the Bible that many times God uses us as an answer to our own prayer? We're praying for something or someone and God turns around and says, okay, Jeff, why don't you do it? 
If you care enough to pray for them and be praying for them and you're concerned about their welfare spiritually, then why don't you go? Let me send you. But finally, we should also go proceeding with caution and with care. I want to turn, or I want you to turn tonight to the next to last book of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation, the book of Jude. And Jude is very easy to miss because it's only one chapter. But it's right before the book of Revelation. So if you find Revelation, just go back a little ways and you'll come to the book of Jude. And this is one of the things that Jude talks about. He talks in his letter about getting involved in people's lives. But at the very end of the book, he says, look, all of us, as we go, also need to be very careful and cautious in getting involved in other people's lives. And if I, before I read this, if I could illustrate this, I use sort of a, a fireman or a lifeguard. And God wants us to be spiritual firemen at times and spiritual lifeguards. But we all know, we've heard stories. There have been many times where a fireman going in to rescue others has given up their life. And someone who's tried to save somebody else from drowning, ends up getting pulled under themselves and drowning themselves. And so it's not that God doesn't want us to reach out. It's not that God doesn't want us to, to be part of this search and rescue team. But again, he, he says, but just be careful and be cautious because the people and their lives that we may be getting involved with, there's some heavy stuff there. And, and as we go, God doesn't want to see the rescuers being pulled under as well. And so God says, just be careful and be cautious and go with wisdom. So notice, that's why Jude says in verse 22, have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on others coupled with a fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. The picture there is just... Again, not that God doesn't want us to be used to reach into people's lives, but there are some people who are so involved with sin or, or this sin or this lifestyle has so overtaken their life that in order for us to try to be used by God to turn them around, we've got to be very careful that somehow we don't get drugged back or drug away from God in trying to help them. That's not what God intends for the search and rescue to be about. In fact, that's why, again, very cool in the context here, I want you to notice something. That before we ever start reaching out and trying to help others, God always wants us to be maintaining a consistent spiritual growth with Him so that we are ministering to others out of spiritual strength rather than spiritual weakness because we really truly can't minister fully out of any kind of spiritual weakness. So notice, that's why back in the context... In verse 20, before verses 22 and 23, he says to the church, but you, dear friends, first priority, build up yourselves in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit and maintain yourselves in the love of God while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. And then, and only then, seek to be part of God's search and rescue. See, build up ourselves first. Make sure that we are growing and that we are at a place, as Paul says, where we are spiritual, meaning we're walking in the Spirit at that moment. We are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. 
and we're in a good place with God right now. Again, that's why James wrote the letter. James wrote this letter to all of us to encourage us to stay in a good place with God spiritually. Not just for our own sakes, folks. But we are our brother's keeper. And God wants to use every Christian to be part of his search and rescue team. Because that's the very heart of God. That the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The heart of God is to go after that one sheep that has wandered from the other 99. And that's the story and message of the Bible. And can I say also, that is the message of Christmas. I thank God that our God said, i got to rescue them. And I've got to leave the glories of heaven and the comfort of heaven and the adoration of the angels. And I'm going to put on human flesh. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to search them out. And I'm going to rescue them. That's the message of Christmas. In fact, in closing tonight, I just want you to go to two passages of Scripture that illustrates what James has been saying and what the heart of God is. Go back to the book of Galatians, if you will. To Galatians chapter 4. I love this. You know, many times at Christmas time, we go to Matthew and we go to Luke because those are the two nativity narratives or birth narratives of Jesus. And we may even go into the Old Testament to like Isaiah chapter 7, the virgin birth, and Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us... A a child is given unto us, a son is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And they're all wonderful Christmas prophecies and stories, but there's also one tucked away in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul said to the Galatians, When the appropriate time had come, God, notice, sent out his Son. There it is. Search and rescue. When the appropriate time had come, when the Romans were in control of the world so that there was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and the Romans had built a a road system that we could get to any place in the known world at that time, where the Greeks had developed a language that could flood the gospel to all parts of the world in a very precise way. When the Jews were looking for the Messianic hope, when the appropriate time came in world history, God sent out His Son on a search and rescue mission. Born of a woman, born under the law, notice, to redeem or to set free those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir through God. Amen. That's the message of Christmas. That when the appropriate time in history came, God sent forth His Son on a search and rescue mission. And then if you'll go back to the book of 1 John, towards the back of your Bible, almost to the book of Revelation, right before Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, John writes, By this the love of God is revealed in us, That God has sent His one and only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. Search and rescue. God knew we needed life. I mean, abundant life. Eternal life. And God knew the only way that that was going to happen was for Jesus Himself to come down 
and show us what it was all about. Verse 10, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, if God would have waited for Jeff Royce to go after God, it would have never happened. God saw Jeff Royce was in distress and God loved loved Jeff Royce enough and loved you enough to go out and inconvenience himself and search me out and rescue me and deliver me and set me free. And God wants that same heart to be true in the hearts of all of his children. Especially in James, the passage we looked at tonight in relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ. God wants to knit our hearts together, folks, so that when we struggle, and and we're all susceptible to wandering from the truth and struggling spiritually at times. All of us are. That hopefully we have brothers and sisters in our lives who love us enough and care about us enough to be inconvenienced and to allow God to use them to turn us back around and get us going again. And hey, sometimes it may be like helping a wounded dog. The dog needs help, but sometimes helping a wounded dog, you sort of get some scratches and stuff yourself. And James and Paul and the Bible doesn't say it's going to be easy. It might always be well-received, but God wants us to obey the prompting of the Spirit of God and care enough to go if the Spirit of God is telling us to go and just humbly saying, God, use me to turn my brother or sister around. It grieves my heart that they used to be part of our fellowship here. They used to come to the mine. They used to come to Cornerstone on a regular basis. They used to read their Bible. They used to serve in church. And now all I can say about them is they're the used-to-be's. There's nothing present about their life with God right now that is where it should be. God, use me. Use somebody to care enough about them that has your heart to go into their life and perform a search and rescue. Folks, I have so enjoyed sharing the book of James with you. And I just want to thank you all for this wonderful semester. And before we close tonight, I just want to wish all of you a very blessed and merry Christmas. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much that you truly loved us enough and gave up so much to rescue. Lord, that's overwhelming. Especially when I think in my life there have been times where you wanted me to just be an instrument of yours to try to turn somebody around. And I wasn't obedient. I was too busy. It was going to be too hard. It probably wasn't going to turn out right. All the excuses, Lord. I'm glad you didn't use any excuses for me. I'm glad you didn't use any excuses for us. And God, help us to have your heart. And help us, Lord, to knit our hearts together with one another. I love what you're doing in the mine on Tuesday nights. I love this group of people that are coming out and going after you and studying your word and what you're doing. And not only building relationships, Lord, with yourself and with your word, but, Lord, building relationships with other Christians through this. And, God, I love what you're doing. And I I am so excited to see what you're going to do in 2009. I can't wait. Because, Lord, I just believe the best is yet to come in our lives, 
in this Bible study, in this church, the best is yet to come. Excite us, Lord, with what's to come. And excite us about being a part of what you're doing in this dark world. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Folks, I love you. Have a great Christmas, and I'll see you January the 6th.